it really dumbfounded me because he was someone who really had no experience at all with love. I mean, some of the stories what his father did to him is, is it just unbelievable. I was surprised he even had a son that he spoke to. I didn't really imagine that life was conducive to having a, a partner or having anyone who wasn't running in the opposite direction from you. Mm. But he spoke that language like he was born knowing it. That's amazing. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason and this is The Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. Thanks for joining us for part two of our Rest and Recap special episode, co-hosted by Ben Reason. In this part, we're remembering episode two guest Cheryl Brooks and an amazing message from God to all parents directly through His Word. Good evening, Ben. Thank hey. you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have these evenings together where we actually look into each other's it face and nice. talk. So tonight we're discussing episode two with Cheryl Brooks, and we're going to jump straight in and start with the first scripture that was brought, and that was Job 1.5, and that was actually me that brought that scripture, um, not Cheryl, but um, we chatted about it anyway because it was when I was reading Cheryl's notes on her points about uh, praying as an intercessor for your children and also praying, you know, in the middle of the night. She mentions praying praying during the night. The scripture reads, it is Job 1.5, it reads, It was so when the days of their feasting had run their course that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and renounced God in their hearts. Job did so continually. And at the time, the thing that struck me was, was that Job rose up early in the morning, presumably when everybody else was still asleep. And I want to talk to you specifically about this because you now have a habit of rising up early in the morning. And in terms of this sort of sleeplessness and getting up early, and, and, and for you it's a chance to prepare for the day, what do you think that do you think there's something in that that God wants us to understand? I knew you were going to ask this question. I've wrestled with it a little bit because I don't see how God can value sleeplessness as He doesn't actually sleep. But it is a great leveler, isn't it? There's been many people in my life where we're utterly exhausted. We find ourselves strangely on the same page. Like this one is kind of school mm. camps work when teachers and students have both had to put up with the same idiotic laughing all through the night. And then <laughs> kind of the bus on the way back is the kind of hanging out with your, your former teacher and it's all kind of cool all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, yes, I do get up very early and now I don't have to even because the kids are sleeping in better. But I love it. I just get prepared. I don't do any work for the day. I sort of get myself prepared, really. I um, sit in the same spot and I have the same cup of coffee and I wait for the murmurings to get the kids up. It's a very peaceful time and I pray in that time too. And I was thinking when you're reading that, although I haven't been able to, <laughs> I haven't been able to breastfeed, um, <laughs> that friend of ours who was talking about it, it's a great time to pray. Most of my praying when the kid, when the kids were really young, especially the firstborn was trying to put them to sleep, actually, um, rocking them, especially our eldest. She she, she really liked a, a really solid balance, like a proper squat. Oh, she had to be squatted, yeah. yeah. And I don't know something about my squat speed. There's nothing very... to get up to 400, or 400 <laughs> squats. To it, it's just, well, yes, I, I found that 
Squat Speed is great for Songs of Praise. <laughs> for me, <laughs> Praise the Nail was, was, a, was a real go-to. Right. Just, you know, and um, she'd be drifting off and I'd be praising harder, i got to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well, there you go. I mean, the, the, script, the other scriptures that this reminded me of as I was thinking about it was the parables about the ten virgins, Matthew 25, which mm. comes straight after Matthew 24, signs of the end of, end of the age. And then Luke 21, verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. It's interesting. There were two forms of sleeplessness, weren't there, as parents? There was the crazy, the child is crying and crying and crying. I can't think of anything. I wish I was dead. Sleeplessness. And then there's the... <laughs> I think that's a special one reserved just for mums, actually. <laughs> and then there was the one that you're talking about. You find yes. that peaceful. There's a sleeplessness that I still suffer from now where I wake up and then I'm listening to them and I can't stop listening. Hmm. And there's no room in my brain for anything, any other prayers, or I, I don't find that relaxing. I did find it relaxing. The, the last feed of the day when everybody else was asleep, I, so I do understand oh, yeah. what, what that was like. Um, the, but, but in that quietness, do you think there's um, a sort of a vigilance about what Job was doing? Absolutely, and I think you can be exhausted and vigilant, actually. It's funny, I remember there was this interview with the, I don't know if he still is, but the Guinness Book of Records, the record for the longest staying awake. Mm. It was this not particularly healthy-looking man who had some extraordinary feat of insomnia. And he said it's really a game of patience. He didn't find it was that uncomfortable or that mm. physically demanding. It was that just explains why I was so terrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe God does want us to learn patience. I do really think he wants to scrape the barnacles off. If you can get a word in edgeways, um, it helps if you are a little bit uh, depleted, mm. a, a little bit ready to receive help. I do. I, you've reminded me there were some days where I was so exhausted that the day actually went perfectly yeah. because I was too tired to get angry. I spoke in this really quiet voice to the kids and, you know, if they did something naughty, the discipline was just delivered like like a plate of food. Yep. Go and sit over there for four minutes. I'll see you then. This is what you've done wrong. Everything was really chilled out because I just didn't mm. have the energy to get worked up. So, yes, I think I think you're right. Maybe if we can get ourselves to that state without actually depleting our bodies... That would be the ideal state. And there are some uncomfortable things about sleeplessness. You know, you have that strange airport kind of, I haven't had a shower feeling even when you've had oh, a shower. Yeah. Or the bouncing yeah, when, yeah. The, when the world seems to be bouncing. But yeah. if, you, if you just settle, like you just sit down and um, you just take stock, it's, um, it's really not that hard to endure. And yeah. It seems as though it's highly valued, biblically speaking. Mm. The other thing that struck me about what Job did was he was praying for his sons in case they'd sinned and renounced God. Now, what do you think about this? Like, can you actually pray on behalf of your kids? Yes. Marvelous. Yes, I think you can. I don't quite know what, how that prayer would be worded. Oh, it's not going to stop me from trying. I was just wondering if it can be yeah, done. Yeah, I think so. I think we're meant to pray for all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons. But as a father, praying for their sins, because mothers... 
We worry about everything that could possibly happen to their physical bodies, and I think you probably do too. Certainly. Um, certainly when they're young. But this, these, these children are growing, as far as I can tell from the scripture, it seems that they're, they're growing up. They're going to parties, so they must be growing up. Um, <laughs> yes. So he's not praying for their physical safety anymore. Hmm. I mean, do you feel as a father um, an urgency to take on the role of praying for your children? Well, that's what I was trying to say before. Um, I do pray for my kids' um, well-being and safety. The foundations um, of their faith? Less so. As Yeah, I think we've spoken about it before. I feel as though kids are on a pretty good footing with God naturally. I guess I'm not that impressed by infant baptism if we don't you know I don't know much about it I'm not a Catholic but I think well you were baptized as a kid it's sort of more of a christening but yes yeah that fear that we gotta yeah you know, when there's there's a lot of a lot more infant mortality there was a bit of a panic that if you didn't get your kids signed off they might be in trouble I can't identify with that Mm. I've maybe it's just a defence mechanism thinking because it's a it's a dangerous business being born, and, and maybe I'm just it's wishful thinking. Mm. Um, but I can't help but feel that I haven't had a lot of time to do wrong, mm. and then in some way kids are protected. Yeah, well, yes, and also you're talking about potentially trying to take matters into your hands. I mean, this kind of falls into what we were discussing in Linda's episode: controlling outcomes coupled with taking away someone's choice. Right. And we talk about how God has very humbly and graciously given us a choice about whether or not we reject him. And it's important that we don't take that away in our urgency to see people saved. We still face, you know, if God gives them a choice, then we have to too. And that, that extends to our children. Um, we'll move on to the next scripture point, And I'm actually going to read the next four together because as I was putting this together I realized something incredible and I don't think I'm selling Cheryl short when I say that I don't think she did this on purpose but when I read the scripture in order this is how it reads Deuteronomy 31.8 Yahweh himself is who goes before you he will be with you he will not fail you nor forsake you don't be afraid don't be discouraged Romans 8.28 we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Matthew 11:30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 18:5. Whoever receives one such little child in my name receives me. Now I'm pretty sure that Cheryl didn't mean to do that, but I think that is the most perfect and beautiful message to a parent. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That you could ever hear. And it comes from all different parts of the Bible, in different orders. That to me says two things. One, you can take things out of context, because God's voice is the it's same. Every page, isn't yeah, it? it's it's through the Bible, and also don't be concerned about which bits of the Bible you can believe and which you can't. Just believe it all. It's yeah, it's pretty extraordinary the way that God speaks, at least in the fragments that we we have. I've read this article a while back about DNA. Did you know that the DNA actually means, they have this this digital code, um, but it actually is three-dimensional. Like if you read it sort of from left to right, for example, it has 
with some implications and instructions, but actually read backwards it does other things as well. And working in parallel it does things also. It's this enormously dense text that's written into, well, every fabric of your body. And that seems so familiar to me when I'm reading the Bible. It mm. seems not a surprise to me that these items can make perfect sense in and out of context because it can be read in more than one dimension. Also, apparently... You've just blown my mind a little bit when you said that. Look into I, it. I can't not think about that now. Also, <laughs> the, um, the way the Hebrew spelling works is mm. unlike any other language. Um, with their lack of vowels, there's a certain um, pseudo. Oh, sorry to anyone who's Jewish. There's a certain pseudo quality that's that's multi-dimensional. Yeah, um, we would love to hear your thoughts on that. By the way, if, you, if, you, if you're a you know, we'd like to shed biologist some light. or we, Hebrew, we accept humbly our ignorance and we look forward to mm. your insight. Oh well, the word of God is amazing. But that, that really that really affected me very deeply, actually, when I realised that it went that way. So let's look at each one individually. So the first one that came up was Deuteronomy 31.8. And in the context of our discussion, Cheryl and, and, and myself, we were talking about how when things, sometimes things don't go our way, but we need to trust that God has our best interests at heart. So my question to you is, as the leader of a family, what do you think happens in a family and what happens to our responsibilities as a parent and our relationships with our spouse and our children when we become discouraged? I mean, how, how deeply can that affect the family dynamic? It certainly does affect it almost instantly and, and quite thoroughly. This most likely happens to me more than you, but I see it when it happens to you because I'm not feeling anything, I'm just observing. But I, I will see you reflecting a hungry, angry kid a little bit or perhaps you, I don't know, can't find a car park or something mm. and the kid's pretending to be you, being upset and I'm thinking, mm. I don't know which one's upset. One of them is, I don't know where this is coming from. So you do have an awesome responsibility to hold your emotions in check and I think hold your hope oh, and I'm, your aspirations. I'm just so grateful you that really you revealed that, that to everyone. You are a, almost a saint. <laughs> I've got to say. No, I'm not a saint at um, all. My my problem, well, my problem is impatience. Well, I guess that's the one you have to be on the lookout for. Mm. I have my own ones. I don't think you can get away with being un- unguarded, is not the right word, just undisciplined with your feelings because it really has an extraordinary outcome in, in mm. the subtlest ways. So, yes, I think it's enormously important. I found that the subject of discipline, even itself, I find mm. discipline wearying because not only do I have to maintain vigilance in terms of what they're doing and, and be consistent, but it also holds my own behaviour in check. Certainly. I don't think people would have much respect for the law of the land if it was quite blatantly revenge. There's a certain... Well, that people love the, the statue of what that lady with the blindfold and little scales in her hand. It's not meant to be emotionally driven. It's a bit of a shame that when you're a parent, I suppose you don't get to have feelings anymore. But, you know, honestly, I've had them. I wasn't that depressed. (laughs) Feelings are overrated. Okay, so in terms of feelings, the next scripture was Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And again, Cheryl and I were talking about prayers not always being answered in the way that we want. And Cheryl 
confessed to herself that she was still learning to trust God, but she knew that he knows the bigger picture and he has all the details that she doesn't have. have. And she described in the episode uh, how she came to terms with and, and sincerely wanted the will of God to be done in her daughter's life as she was suffering from this terrible illness and her daughter was healed. And so one of the questions that we we discussed a little bit in the episode was what is good? What What is your perspective on God's good? Is it even something we can have an opinion on or should we just trust? I think we do have to just trust. I'm not being pessimistic or, or lazy when I say this, but there's a certain brute fact to God's presence and influence and it's not that if you don't like it you can, <laughs> you can go go elsewhere. But he says it's hard for you to kick against the goads, mm, you know, to pull. That's an understatement. Yeah. Um, so God's goodness is hard to follow sometimes, actually, because he has this extreme vantage point. Mm. And yes, I think that we're right to focus so heavily on trust, and trust is a relationship. You know, I've heard, they've even changed this in the dictionary, haven't they, recently, that the faith is this this thing that's built on um, a lack of evidence or something. Even the face of um, of strong contrary evidence, I have to go and grab an Oxford Dictionary. But the meaning of the word, I think, is closer to trust. Faith is trust built on evidence or built on a relationship. And I've seen enough to trust. It is not easy to trust that there isn't a lot of suffering in the process. Mm. Oh, I think it, I think Cheryl showed incredible strength at that point mm. to release it all into, God, into God's hands because it would be extremely hard to trust when it's someone you love and you're watching them suffer. No, we all just, no, we all just get frantic, don't we, that, that we want it to end I in think the best all, way. Yeah, I think we've all had that, that prayer where you say, God, I can't do this but that's a bit different from saying your will be done or god i don't know where this is headed it looks really scary by the way but Mm. i think that you must be onto something that's brave Mm. braver than me well then it comes down to love doesn't it because we read the scriptures and we we see the character of god and then in your daily life you have to come to terms with God's love and accept that it is complete. And that seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of us. I mean, how do you understand God's love and, and how how important is it to teach someone to love? Or, I mean, do we, do we love innately or are we taught? I think we certainly do love innately. It's strange, it definitely goes beyond a need to be a part of a tribe or to get food and shelter. I'm reminded of, of this fellow I saw an interview with a while back that I think I'll keep away from you because he had a pretty awful life. And he had a, a completely loveless childhood and worked very hard on becoming the most intimidating and dangerous person that he'd ever met. And he succeeded. And he was incarcerated for a long time and he was proud of how many jailers were legally obliged to be in the room, whenever he had his room cleaned, whenever he was moved from a cell, it was quite an extraordinary amount of people all armed and, and body armoured. And he turned his life around and he's quite the motivational speaker now and does a lot for charity and he's a, a British guy. 
And the thing that really turned it for him is he said he was on the phone to his son and his son said, Dad, I don't love you anymore. Apparently the son had seen some news article about how dangerous this guy was and it was slightly inflated about how he was indiscriminate and he was mostly just a petty crook with a fairly narrow focus and particular goals. But this man just couldn't... He just, he just floored him. He just lay on the, on the floor um, of his cell and just cried and cried and cried. The, the son said, I don't want to have anything to do with you and um, you're, you're not a good person. And I don't love you anymore. Um, and he stopped. He turned it around. He wasn't dangerous in um, jail anymore. He worked hard to get out. And I think under some capacities he's still sort of on parole, but mm. he really has turned around. It's It really dumbfounded me because he was someone who really had no experience at all with love. Mm. I mean, some of the stories of what his father did to him is, is it just unbelievable. I was surprised he even had a son that he spoke to. I didn't really imagine that life was conducive to having a, a partner or having anyone who wasn't running in the opposite direction from you. Mm. But he spoke that language like he was born knowing it. That's amazing. I mean, it suggests, doesn't it, that we are born with the ability to love and it gets suppressed or removed you can do well at suppressing it, I think. Um, you find ways, but I think like God's goodness, I think like Jesus and Pilate discussing truth, I think love, people say God is love, but I think love is a word that has shown us an experience of some of God's movement in our life. But if there's something in between the three, I think that's where we'll find God and anyone, any nationality, any experience certainly knows when they're missing out. It's an awful lot of, of anger or resentment when they feel so they should have had understanding or love or a family. So do you think that having imperfect relationships with within our... Because it's difficult for us to understand the nature of God's love when we're, we're imperfect lovers ourselves. Do you think that has an impact well, it must do, but I'm surprised how little it does, actually. There's many hilarious, famous atheists saying, I don't believe in God and I'm angry with him, or something to that extent. Being outraged by this person that you don't believe exists. I don't think, hey, look, I may just be very fortunate in my life. I think my much more serious brother would say I have been living in a bit of a dream life but gosh I've heard it over and over again from people who were living a, a nightmare life that they know what love is and they know when they have it and they know when you're trying to sell something that isn't it mm. and yeah I think it's true I think that people probably are born with an ember of love I think that's very encouraging actually isn't it yes that we can um, we can put we can put something over that little flame, but we can't actually snuff it out. So we're talking about love and trust. The next scripture was Matthew eleven thirty. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Cheryl was talking about this, and she was talking about the unforced rhythm of our life and how we tend to exhaust all of our own resources before we go to God, but we maybe shouldn't be doing that. We should be going straight to him. And she was talking about this in the context of she 
she was ill and she went to bed with a Panadol when the kids were having a nap and when she woke up her son was gone and what had happened was her mother-in-law had come round and taken her son away to help Cheryl <laughs> but when very, Cheryl very woke helpful. up and he was gone her first thought was that he'd been abducted right. it didn't occur to her at any point that her mother-in-law who lived quite close might have done something like that and there was a note but that was never found mm. but we do always go straight to disaster don't we? Our mind goes straight to a disaster when Certainly. something unexpected happens. Trusting God is is not the first thing that comes to mind often. Didn't John Lennox say that we um, we trust our mind and we use God? Mm, yeah. <laughs> We're using our mind and trusting God? Yeah. I can't say I'd react any differently. No, I wouldn't either. No, 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 I'm not I'm not criticizing Cheryl at all, but 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 actually joining with her because we do. Mm. I mean, I immediately think the worst whenever anything happens. Oh, this is going to be bad, you know. I suppose the best doesn't I never it. think, I never, well, my, my first thought is never, God will sort this out, you know. No. <laughs> I, yes. I don't. Yeah, I think that good news doesn't need a lot of sorting out mm. <laughs> and um, bad news needs you to act quickly. Mm. And we spend so it's much time again. praying to God about bad news we kind of equate our relationship with God a little bit. I mean, what's the big three prayers? Is the, the, the sorry, the please, and the um. Oh. It should be thank you. I guess thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That demonstrates in my my prayer life. <laughs> yes. I should do a lot of thank yous. Well, I I mean, this scripture has always irritated me somewhat because I find it contradictory to say yoke and burden and then say easy and light and I often think no it's not Mm, Um, because sometimes I find it very difficult to be a Christian but I think you've pointed out to me in the past before that a mistake would be to try and be Jesus he doesn't say come and be me he says come and trust me Look, he didn't appear in his resurrection body and start, you know, smacking around his disciples for betraying him, but every one of them more or less folded. When the ships were down and the Romans were looking fierce, they were bailed. I think it is very, very hard to the point of impossibility to be the kind of Christian that Peter wanted to be, for example. Mm. I think Jesus forgives us our human sins if we legitimately want to be by his side. It's, it's hard for some people to be the three-foot-tall uh, sort of basketball player on the team and the team wants you and you know that you're, not, you're just not able to do it. And you really <laughs> like this idea that maybe there's a league somewhere outside of the team where you're like a superhero. <laughs> but um, that's where we are. We're not an MVP, but I suppose we are actually the Jesus. An MVP. MVP. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Oh, right. I'm most of the anti sport. Okay. <laughs> well, it's strange, isn't it? Like, isn't there some trophy they give people as like rugby players each year, like for their individual skills? Okay, we'll call it the fancy trophy. Well, <laughs> someone will get it, like for the Brownlow Medal in this uh-huh. country. Uh-huh. And for individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Christian faith is like Jesus gives you the brown low when you are the worst football player who ever lived. Yeah. No, I'm not following you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you got a husband on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll move on to the next scripture, which is Matthew 18, 5. Whoever receives one such little child in my name receives me. 
And I also found Mark 9.37 as I prepared for this, which was, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And in the context of the episode, Cheryl was talking about, you know, being a mother is a ministry, and if you want to do the work of the kingdom, as a mother you are doing the work of a kingdom, and, and that it's also, you know, a form of worshipping God and you know, bringing your children up to understand God. And when I was rereading this scripture again, it appeared to me differently all of a sudden. I used to read it that if you received a little child and you were kind to them and welcomed them, it was like being kind and welcoming to God, welcoming him to your life. You know, but like Matthew 35, 25 yeah. to 30, when I was hungry, ah, you fed me, you gave me food to eat when I was thirsty, so on and so on. But now when I read it, it seems to me that it's saying, when you receive children from me, in caring for them, you'll also receive an understanding of who I am. So you'll receive Christ through the servanthood of being a parent, and you'll receive God because you will learn so much about who he is by being a parent, that he's designed this relationship to teach us about who he is so that we can see him better. There's two questions. First of all, as a father, do you feel like you're doing God's work in bringing up your children? I do. I feel it differently about this too, I think. I feel as though I've taken up a baton or taken a role in this eternal father-son, like teacher-student privilege that we are part of a faith that is eternal. And it's growing, and it has youth, and it has questions, and it has trust and um, innocence sometimes, and it even has great need. And here we are as parents dealing with these infants and these toddlers and these little kids, and we're instructing them. And sometimes I think that there's so much maths, for example, to teach. But other times I feel as though I'm a part of this this cycle, this this great tradition, and I'm proud to be a part of it, actually. And I do wonder, when Jesus focuses on the children, he's demonstrating for everyone to see that educating your children, accepting them, bringing them in um, before God, and, and treating them as though they have something to give in that environment is something that will happen again and again and again and it's not beneath someone of a, a great stature. It's not out of reach for someone who perhaps doesn't have kids of their own. And it's hard to explain, but I really felt a part of something every time I began to share what I think about God with my kids. And when they ask sort of predictable questions, I look forward to hearing it, like the way you, you look forward to a punchline of a joke that you found really funny when you were a kid or sharing a movie with someone that, when you really love the movie. So I felt a part of a process as a parent, and I see that process demonstrated in real time in that particular passage. And so the second part of the question is, do you feel like as a father that you have received God more fully in your life because you've received this, these children from him? Uh, upon reflection, I see how I have. When I'm in the thick of it, I don't think of anything much except for, <laughs> oh, that will leave a mark. Um, but I've seen the change in you. 
And if you get other husbands on this podcast, I think they'll say the same thing. For a minute I thought you were going to say, if you get another husband, it's like, what? <laughs> Hang on. Here's <laughs> <laughs> one I prepared earlier. No, um, oh, creepy. Yeah, uh, you have changed enormously. As a Christian, there's been a time where if I'm saying grace at a meal, that's it's kind of open night, uh, mic night for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and maybe a bit too personal, sort of blind to the other little people around the table. If there's something I'm really worried about. Your prayers have changed so much since you're becoming a parent and I haven't felt as though I have to lift my game to remain competitive. (laughs) (laughs) The discipline that God has has given you has changed my life, actually. And I can't say you've turned around and pointed the finger at me. No, I'm too busy. Other mothers will understand this. I'm too busy pointing it at myself. Actually, there's very little. There's, How have I ruined my children today? Beautifully little finger pointing, actually, <laughs> in the house. That has been the biggest way God's spoken to me, actually, because people, people want to see a miracle. It's marvelous, you know. But you can look around to see God's marvelous works, and it doesn't have to be someone who survived a gunshot wound or something. Mm. Hearing you. Your three-year-old knock out the Lord's Prayer is a bit of an eye-opener. Hearing hearing your wife come out with a passage that is so important as a part of your childhood, the one part of the Bible you memorised, you know, and them not even knowing that that's what you were thinking about at the time. Like, yeah, if, if a man and woman turn into one entity in, in a sense, uh, I've really felt it through parenthood actually mm. truly that's strange isn't it because i in some ways we've never been more separate <laughs> yes. yeah maybe there's a mechanism there to hold hold people together because god knows we're going to be separated by our children our life, i mean just... we can't even hug without one of them or well, possibly two of them squeezing in between i think the separation is a bit of a <laughs> perception though actually we can't be separated if we're constantly working towards keeping these kids afloat that's what I've thought, that we're working to the same end. Yeah. We just don't see each other while we're doing it. No, or talk or hold yeah. hands. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold hands. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, oh, nice. vaguely. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thank you very much for that, Ben. That was really great. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I'll see you in the next, next part. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. In part three of my conversation with Ben, we'll be recapping episode three with Jenny Greaves. If you'd like to review the scriptures we discussed, please visit the website for the references in episode seven's show notes. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.